Good morning. morning. It's good to see you this morning. So Keith, I already told you if you were expecting to hear Adam Ohm, I'm really sorry to disappoint you today. He texted me yesterday and said that he's pretty sick and was getting worse throughout the day. Um, That's what he said in his text. Now what I actually heard was, it's the last day of spring break, cough, cough. It's daylight savings time, so even more people are going to miss. Cough, cough, give me a different Sunday. Cough, cough. And so we've rescheduled him for Palm Sunday because that'll be a big crowd day, right? And that's the way that stuff works. No, um, we have rescheduled him for Palm Sunday, but it's because the text that he's doing, First uh, John 3, is a great Palm Sunday text, and uh, it just it fits really, really well. And so, Adam, hope you feel better soon. Uh, Sorry, you're feeling bad, and I really was just joking. Um, and so I decided what we're going to do is we're going to revisit the wheel today. Still got the list on the iPad, and it did. Um, I just spent some time from the time he texted me yesterday till this morning thinking about the fact that when we did that wheel series about a month ago now, it was five Sundays, and even though I got up here each week and I didn't know where we were going to end up, you know, I'd still planned for it to be unexpected. You know, like I was prepared for that. And um, today just reminded me, it, was, it, was, it just felt like God yesterday just saying, now it's really going to be unexpected. <laughs> um, you weren't thinking that you were even going to do this today. And just how, like in a moment, God can take, you know, I just settled in, hey, the other guys are going to teach for five weeks. This is what's going on. All right, here we go. And then, one text, one moment, and he changes everything. And it can happen that quickly. Um, and he brings about something unexpected. And so the way I'm approaching it this morning is that God has something to say to us from one of these passages. Um, and he has you here on the last Sunday of spring break, last day of spring break, the day when time changes, all those things. He has you here because he has something to say to you right now this morning. And if you're listening online, I know that he has things to say to you whenever that may be uh, Today, sometime this week, five years from now, whenever you come across this. And so I'm excited to hear what it is. So we are going to spin that wheel in just a minute. But I also want to say, since I was teasing Adam, Keith is up next week. Um, and then my hope is that two weeks from now, we're going to, get to, I'm going to get to introduce you to a missionary couple, a couple here locally that's about to be sent out into the mission field this fall. And I would love for us to get to know them a little bit and be able to partner with them and pray with them as they get ready to um, go out on the mission field. So then Adam will be the week after that. And then Easter. And then my plan right now, even though Lou preached the whole thing last week and stole my thunder, is that I think we're going to jump into Job after Easter. And so just if you want to have an idea of where we're going, Keith has us in Genesis 15 next week. Then our missionary couple, Adam, will have us in 1 John 3. Easter, I'm thinking about the last chapter of Luke, haven't completely decided yet. And then Job. It's just if, if that helps you to know and you want to be reading ahead and praying through and studying, those are the thoughts. Um, and as I've listened to the other guys teach and, and gotten, you know, we've already texted through together through Adam's passage. Uh, one week at lunch, Keith and I were talking about Genesis 15, um, it's reminded me of that first section in Philippians when Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. 
And I do feel that way just about our elders and our teaching team, like each of, each of these guys that every week when they stand up here um, and take us straight to the Bible and they pray and they read Scripture and they point us to who God is and remind us of the gospel, I'm so thankful to be partnered with um, people like that in a local body like this where that would be the focus and the emphasis and we would be praying together for God to do a spiritual work that only he can do by his spirit and by his word and his people. And so since I'm up here in the middle of all them teaching, I just thought I'd take a minute and just say to them and to all of you how grateful and thankful I am for that um, and glad to stand in for Adam today and looking forward to getting to hear from him in a few weeks. But uh, oh, the, the other thing that stood out to me last week um, is that I always feel like I get up here and I'm pretty, like, plain, vanilla, just normal, dressed, and and that's intentional. Like, there's nothing flashy about me, and it'd be really fake if I get up here and try to be flashy. I know Darren made jokes about my big knot in my tie a few weeks ago, but Lou got up here last week in his sweatpants, and he just makes me feel so overdressed. Like, I think I'm going to have to go to, like, mess shorts and a T-shirt. Like, that's just... That's where we're headed next. So when we do, don't let it be. I'm warning you now so it won't be a distraction then. I got up this morning and remembered that it's St. Patrick's Day this week. Uh, Emery's had all kinds of like St. Patrick's decorations and stuff. So I thought about wearing a green shirt today, um, and it just didn't seem like it was quite time for that yet. It's shocking. I went with the usual. Uh, so for now, no green shirt, but maybe soon um, we'll see. But got to get the wheel out. Emery, you want to come up here and spin with me? We, what did we do last time? Have I erased it yet? Act, we did Acts 2, didn't we? Let's see if I can pull up the... Anybody want to add anything? And you don't have to. We'll just put spin again there if you don't have something to add real quick. But is there something you like, like, oh yes, this is my chance. I wanted to do it, wanted to do it, and I get to add it. All right, spin again. If she hits seven, we'll get a free spin. All right, what do, we, what do we got here? Where are you starting at? You're going to start on four? Why'd you pick four? Not to get hurt. Oh, so you want to start and stop on four is what you're hoping for? All right, so Emery's rigged it. God's in control. Let's see what happens. Spin it hard. Oh, my word. Three, revelation. Thank you for that. Hey, by the way, you carried the wheel out here and everything. Thank you, sweetie. Carry it back, too. My lovely assistant. Look at you. Thanks, sweetheart. Great job. All right. I know all of you all were, like, chomping at the bit for this anyway. Um. I think we'll do chapter one today. I'd thought in my head, if we ever landed on it, that we would need to do a series at some point, and I do think it's a great teaching place for us. Of course, now it's like I've not planned any kind of introduction, not any illustrations. I have gone through Revelation before. Um, did it in a small group Bible study setting a long time ago. Um, I've preached out of it a little bit in the past and then did it... Um, with a couple that we texted through the, the whole book, the way that we study through it. So it's not, I don't want you to think it's completely like 
on the spot this morning in that sense, but it could be one of the best places for us to see the truths that we talk about all the time. And so I'm going to do this this morning with the thought of maybe after Job, maybe we come back and give several more weeks to this because it's 22 chapters. I'll do that this morning, but I know like even 10 chapters of Esther, you all were like, come on. This is not, like, and I don't mean in a bad way, it's not what we sign up for in an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Um, so I'm not going to do that to you, but let me get this where you can see it. What else do we have to do? Space it a little more. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter 1, that's my plan for now. And I'll just remind you with this series as a whole and what we do every week on Sunday mornings. It's what our students do on Wednesday nights. It's what a lot of our community groups do together. It's what our children do in children's worship. That a few of the things that we're really trying to illustrate and emphasize by having, in a sense, a random list of passages that each of you all, you know, you shout it out, say, I'd love to study this, or I love this, or I've always had questions about this, those sort of things. We made a list, and then from our human perspective that random chance is selecting one of those and and none of us know in advance including me where we're going to end up part of what we're trying to emphasize and illustrate there is that there are certain things that we do know in advance and that's this the entire bible is about god wherever we land it is god's revelation of himself to us so that we can know him more and as God reveals himself to us, like in, in the truth that he is showing us, he unleashes, and, and it's mysterious for us in a way, but he unleashes spiritual power that does spiritual work in our hearts and in our minds and helps stir up faith inside of us, causes spiritual growth inside of us so that we will, as we know him more, we will trust him more and we will love him more, and we will worship him more, that, that he's producing in us the things that he wants from us, and it's his grace to us that, that God would stand here as this holy and righteous judge who deserves everything from us and can rightly demand everything from us, and he can look at us and say, you've got none of that on your own, but here, I'll do the spiritual work to produce in you what I want from you. Now trust me for it. Come to me for it. Look to me for it. And so we believe that. So part we're saying, okay, we know wherever we land, it's going to be about God. And we're going to ask, what's this teach about God? And it's going to open things up and unlock things for us, help us see things and understand things about God that he wants us to know. That that's why he gave us Revelation 1 today, is that we'll know him more. And so we're going to ask, what's this teach about God? And he's going to teach us things about himself. But even more, not just that we know the whole thing's about God. We also know that the whole story is connected. It's one big continuous story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 that God's been telling about himself in history. He's worked and acted in history. And then he's had that recorded to help us understand what he's done. And so we also know that wherever we land, if it is mysterious, if you struggle there, and this, this is what I would tell you 
in your personal Bible study, in, in small group Bible studies, when you're meeting with other people, when you're trying to help other people understand the Bible and know who God is, who maybe have no background or understanding at all, whether we're in a group like this, whatever it is, if we come to a section and you're like, I don't know if I can answer that question there right now. I don't know what that teaches me about God. Or I'm a little bit confused. Maybe it's this or maybe it's... Just zoom out. Zoom out. Zoom out. You know, if a verse in Revelation 1 doesn't make sense, read the whole paragraph. If the paragraph doesn't make sense, read the whole chapter. If the chapter doesn't make sense, read another chapter. If that doesn't make sense, read the whole book. If that book doesn't make sense, go to another part of the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. And it is okay. It is perfectly okay for you to not have every answer and not understand everything. It's 100% okay because I promise you that God is going to reveal to you what you need to know right now. I just, I believe that. And there may be places where he's like, no, you need to start here. I've got this to say to you right now. And when we get that piece in place, I'm going to build on that. And I'm going to say, and then this is going to connect to that. And then when these three pieces connect, you're going to see they actually fit right here. And he'll just, that, that's part of this spiritual journey of us constantly looking to him and trusting him that he knows what we need. And so if the whole thing is one continuous story about God, both when you don't have all the answers or it's confusing, just look other, like step away a little bit and look other places in the Bible. It's also why studying the Bible needs to be a lifelong journey and we need to do it in community because he may give you some pieces he hasn't given me yet and you can help me see those. Like he will use you to show me. And he may give me some pieces you haven't seen yet. And he may give somebody else some pieces neither one of us have seen yet. And he intends for us to depend on each other that way. Like he gives my kids stuff all the time and, and then just kind of whispers in, in my ear and he's like, you need to remember that. They said it, but I was saying it to you. I mean, I can't tell you how often he does that to me. Um, and so it's all about God. It's one continuous story. But then also, like when we, what we're trying to emphasize and illustrate here is that God has given us his spirit and his word, and those are the things that we really need for spiritual results. That what we have this morning is what you have all the time as a follower of Jesus. Like if you are trusting Jesus and you've been united to Jesus through faith, that God has done this great, gracious work in the gospel in your heart and made you one with Jesus, his spirit now lives in you. His spirit is alive in you, and his word is living and active. And wherever you are in the Bible, at any point in your life, I really believe the, the simple prayer of faith, like really genuine, not just routine, but this prayer of faith of, God, will you please speak to us right now and teach us by your spirit from your word? One-on-one -on -one in your personal relationship with God, anytime God brings somebody into your life, it's like, and you know, I'm supposed to have a spiritual conversation with them. I'm supposed to be discipling them, either to point them to Jesus because they don't know him, or to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. Any of those situations that God has given you what you need. And so I hope we get to see that again this morning. And I hope again this morning that you wouldn't think there's somebody that stands up here and they've prepared this way or they know this, they have this experience, this knowledge, and that that's why this happens in this moment. It's not. Like all the stuff I just mentioned won't make anything spiritual happen in your life, in my heart, in this church, in your heart. It won't. Like the Spirit of God has to do something only He can do. We're completely dependent on Him and that should humble all of us and hopefully drive us to trust him and rely on him instead of relying on ourselves. But it should also give you great boldness and confidence because it doesn't depend on you. Like you aren't disqualified. You aren't unable because he's the one who does it. 
And he's offering all of that to, to do it for you, to do it in you, to do it through you, to use you that way. And he's saying, I'll give you everything you need. Trust me, come to me for it. And so we're going to pray in just a second. And not just a routine. Even if I say similar words a lot of times, it's because we have the same need all the time. Like We pray similar things because we're always needing the same thing. We need him to do what only he can do. Like desperately need him to do what only he can do. And so we're praying to say, God, we're dependent on you. Please do that during this time. And then we're going to read the Bible because we want it to be his word and not mine, not yours. And we're going to ask, what's this teach about God? Because we want to focus on him and we want him to show us who he is. And then on top of those truths about him to build our lives and to say, this is what I'm saying to you right now. This is, this is, why, this is why I brought you here this morning. You know, it's, it's the Acts 17 where God has set the times and places for all of us that we might seek him and find him, even though he's not far from any of us. That's the way that Paul said it. He walked into a city where none of them had heard of Jesus. And it's right off the bat, he tells them, look, God's brought you here and me here right now so that you will know him. And so it, it's, Adam, sorry you're sick, but it's why Adam's sick this morning. Because God intended for you to hear this this morning. God intended for me to read this this morning. We believe, like, this, is, this is a divine encounter with God himself and his spirit and his word. And so we're going to pray and we're going to read and we're going to ask that question and we're going to hear what he says. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for this time. Please teach us right now by your spirit from your word as only you can. Father, we need you to do what only you can do. We look to you for it, we trust you for it, we ask you for it, and we know that you've promised to give us everything we need and to fulfill all your promises in Jesus and because of Jesus. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 1. What does this teach us about God? The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, 
your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right. That's Revelation chapter 1. What does that teach us about God? What stands out to you this morning? Truths about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, His nature, His character, who He is, how He works. Just what has jumped out to you as we read that chapter? God is eternal. Is that for you who is and who was and who is to come? Yeah. I think it's always good for us. Oh, I did verse 4. Since it's in here twice, we'll mark it twice. And right here again, then God says it about himself. I am who is and who was and who is to come. I think this is a really good habit. And I know like sometimes I forget to do it or forget to ask, but for us to see the connection between here's a truth about God and then here's exactly where it came out of this text, it's a good discipline for us because it reminds us these aren't just my thoughts or Carol's thoughts right then. They're certainly not just our opinions. Like We want to be able to say, this is in the Bible. Like The Bible is saying this. This is our authority. God is speaking. Here's the truth revealed by this text. And so to be able to connect it, like, that's why I try to mark it. Um, and any time that I can remember or you can remember, just always show us all, hey, this is where I saw that. And that'll be good for you, uh, again, in personal Bible study and especially with other people where you can say, hey, I, one of the things it does for us 
when we really want to be both bold and humble, and I think that is the right combination as we take the truth about God to the world, is it's the humility of, look, I'm not sitting up here above you lecturing you about who God is. Here's what I know and here's what you need to know. That's not what's going on. Like, it's not, you know, me passing on to you or Carol passing on to us or then you passing on to somebody else, all this stuff that you've got that they need. That's not what it is. It's you and me sitting together and here's God's word. Like, us in the same spot, equal, beneath his word, and he's speaking to us. So the humility comes from that, that we're together underneath his word. And then the boldness is, in a sense, I'm not putting myself on the line at all when I tell you this. It's not my truth, it's his truth. You reject this, that's your problem with him, not your problem between me and you. And that's why we can be extremely bold. When God gives you his truth, you can be really bold. That's the truth of God. And then you can simultaneously be really humble because it's like, it's the grace of God that he's shown this to me and I pray by the grace of God he'll show this to you too. So that's why we would want to connect it back to his word every time and say, it's God teaching us this. So God's eternal. Was, is, is to come. Or is, was, and is to come. Um, any order you want to put it in. Past, present, future. Always has been God. Is God right now. Always will be God. I may come back to that in a minute for an application, but I'm going to try to be quiet for a minute because you've got more stuff. What else? Other truths about God? Hmm. That's so good, Phil. I mean, y'all, I always say it's you all making it hard on me, but I guess if everything you say makes it hard on me, I'm the common denominator and it's my fault for wanting to talk all the time, but Jesus is mind-blowingly glorious. And ooh, let's try to, what will we do right here, Phil? Because I hear what you're saying. Mind-blowingly glorious and heart-meltingly gracious. You know what I'm thinking right here? Like Jesus is more glorious than you have ever, ever imagined. And Jesus is more gracious than you've ever dared to dream. Like, like look at this description of him. Like imagine, and let's talk context here for a second, because John has alluded to it already here. You know, he's, he's in prison. He's been exiled. He says... Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You know, Jesus has ascended into heaven. This is probably 50 to 60 years after that. So you know, the book of Acts probably stretches about 30 years timeline, if this helps you to set it. Jesus, somewhere around 33 AD, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven. The book of Acts stretches about 30 years, and, and so in, into the 60s. We know that the church is growing. Jesus is keeping his promises but at the very same time, there's lots of opposition from the world. At that time, there's especially opposition from the Jewish religious and political leaders. Persecution, imprisonment, even, they even start killing some of the followers of Jesus. Well, that intensifies from the mid-60s to mid-90s, where it's not just the, the Jewish religious and political leaders opposing the church. It ends up being the Roman Empire and, and the the emperors of Rome even, opposed to Christianity, seeing it as a threat to Rome. And so at some point, 
John is arrested for teaching about Jesus and exiled to Patmos. Like, the idea is this guy that won't stop talking about Jesus, we'll put him out here in the middle of the ocean where he can't talk to anybody about Jesus. And just the first thing to say is they forgot that it's Jesus' ocean. And they forgot that it's Jesus' island. And they forgot that Jesus' spirit lives inside of John. Right? Nothing that the world could do, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth, the most powerful human rulers in the world, could not keep Jesus from his people. Like just, I mean, that's worth the price of admission this morning. The worst circumstances you can imagine for John Right? Humanly speaking, the things, and I'm talking, like, if this is what Jesus has called him to do, right? you are one of my apostles, you're an eyewitness of my resurrection, now go and make disciples of all nations, tell everybody about me, be my witness so people will know me. Like, this is how you thwart that. Right? You're banished, exiled to an island by yourself where you can't communicate with anybody. How in the world can you fulfill God's call on your life? Because none of that stops God. That's how. Because it never depended on John or where he was located or his abilities or his community. Like, Jesus called him to do it and Jesus is going to make it happen. And so none of that stops what Jesus intends to do. Jesus is with him. His spirit lives inside of him. Jesus shows up personally here to comfort and encourage and to give him a message. Jesus is still using him. He gives him a letter to write to these, these seven churches that are mentioned. Like, these are real churches. Real cities at that time, churches that had started, and even just those churches are testimony to the fact, like if you were to look at them on a map, we're not going to do it right now, of how much the gospel had spread from Jerusalem all over the known world at that point in time. That it had reached all of these cities, and there's churches in all these cities, and churches that are growing in such a way that they've gotten the attention of the Roman Empire, and they're being persecuted now for what they believe. And so Jesus is with John. His spirit lives inside of John. And so when he appears to him this morning... Just listen to this description again. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. And this, by the way, if you ever study Revelation, it is full of imagery from the Old Testament and allusions to the Old Testament. It's like a class in and of itself that keeps driving you back to be more familiar with everything that God said in the Old Testament. Son of man comes from Daniel. And if you ever read the description of the son of man in Daniel, he's... He's unlike anybody else that shows up in Daniel, and he has a relationship with the one who sits on the throne that's unlike anybody else's. Like this, this is John reaching back and grabbing and saying, this is Jesus who is one with the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel. And that guy that you see in all those prophecies in Daniel, he was here with me on the island. And so already like we, could just, we could just get his greatness from reading the book of Daniel and then his intimacy with John that he would show up and be here with him. But... One like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Really imagine seeing somebody show up and look like this. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. You get the power of his word right there. He speaks, and things happen. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw, at, saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And so Jesus is more glorious than you have ever imagined. 
Like when Jesus shows up and shows himself, like unveils himself just a little bit, the whole time he was on earth, it's like he kept all that glory zipped up. He, he hid it beneath humanity and poverty and, and rejection. And every now and then, he would give a little glimpse. The Mount of Transfiguration, little glimpse. After the resurrection, little glimpse. But he, he kept it covered for the most part in humility. But when you see who he really is, he is mind-blowingly glorious. And it is overwhelming and to see him for who he really is would strike fear in all of us. You should be afraid of this king. You should be afraid of this man. Like He is that great. He is that powerful. He is that pure. He is that holy. He is that mighty. He is that different from us. He is that much greater than us. Like That's the right response. It is the right response. And then, that one placed his right hand on me. He doesn't destroy him with his power. He doesn't strike him down in his wrath. In all of his purity and holiness, he doesn't consume him for John's impurity and sin and wickedness. It's none of those things. He placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. The one who could rightly stir up all the fear that you could ever have says, I release you from that. I don't come to make you afraid. I don't come to make you fall down dead. Because I already died for you. And now I'm alive. And I share my life with you. And right here, I hold the keys of death and Hades. The keys are authority, access. I'm the king over death. And I've come to make you alive. I have the right to do it. I have the power to do it. He's earned it. He's achieved it. He has won it. And so he shows up in all of his glory and all of his power and it's a fearful thing. And then he interacts with John in all of his grace. And he says, you don't have to be afraid of my power because I'm for you. I use my power for you. You don't have to be afraid of my glory. It could consume you, but I'm going to let you enjoy it forever. More glorious than you've ever imagined and more gracious than you've ever dreamed. What else? Mm hmm. Uh, the footnote there. Somebody want to give us, I don't have it on here, what, what uh, prophecy are they quoting right there? Just because, what's B? Or I can look it up in here. Anybody have that footnote? Revelation. Somebody, if you're saying it, just shout it. I mean, it's... There we go. The bad thing about copying and pasting here. I don't have it in this one. Is it Zechariah? There we go. Thank you all. I was seriously asking. Daniel 7.13. And then is this a different one? There we go. Zechariah 12.10. Here's, again, the Bible's one 
continuous, connected story. These things that God said hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Now, here Jesus is coming back and saying, I'm talking about something that's going to happen, what we know now is at least 2,000 years after he met with John. And he's like, this stuff that was spoken hundreds of years before me, me here right now with John, and stuff that's going to be fulfilled 2,000 years later, it's all connected. And it's all about him. Like Ultimately, th- th- this moment is coming where we talked about, I, I said just a minute ago, like he-, he kept it zipped up and covered his glory. And there's these moments when he lets it shine through. And here's one, of, he lets it shine through to John here in Revelation 1. There's a moment where he's not zipping it up anymore. It's not covered anymore. And the whole world's going to see it. But that he is king of kings and lord of the, that every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. That moment is coming. Even those who pierced him. Imagine the thought of you're literally one of the people who hung Jesus on the cross. Like you're one of the religious leaders who voted to condemn him. You're part of the crowd who shouted crucify him. You know, some of those came to faith in Jesus after his resurrection. And there's some who will look on him as a glorious Savior returning to rescue them forever, just like we hopefully will. And then there are some who will look on him and they will know that's the one that we crucified. And what's happening in this moment. And that's the all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. When he comes back and it's unveiled and everyone sees him for who he is, everyone who has rejected him, who hasn't trusted him, will know what they have done. And they will weep and they will mourn because they are in wrong relationship with this one who's mind-blowingly glorious. That his unbelievable grace was offered to them and they rejected it. And I would just, just as simply as I can right now, I don't mean for this to be like some kind of emotional moment as much as just a direct moment of do not let that be you. See Jesus for who he is now. Ask God to open your eyes spiritually now so you see him now. Because a day will come when you're going to see him for who he is and it'll be too late then. That'll be a day of mourning if you haven't already seen him for who he is. See him for who he is now. Mourn over your sin now. Be grieved by your failure and your brokenness and your fallenness now and throw yourself on a mind-blowingly gracious Savior now so that when you see him then, you can rejoice that he's coming. Everyone's going to see him for who he is. And for some, it'll be the greatest thing that's ever happened in our lives. And for some, it will be the most awful and terrible thing that's ever happened in our lives. See Jesus for who he is now. Right now, this morning, God is speaking to you from his word, by his spirit. He's saying, this is who Jesus is. See him for who he is. Trust him for who he is. So Jesus is coming back. Publicly, gloriously, victoriously, 
And finally, <laughs> when he comes back that way, that's the end of this chapter of the story. And there's another chapter that starts after that, and it's a really long chapter. <laughs> it lasts forever and ever and ever. But this chapter right now, this is the time to know him this way. And by the way, I'm sure we could write off a whole lot more adverbs there. Um, but that's just the few that came to my mind off the top of my head about when he comes back. What else? Other truths about God that stand out to you? Mm. God has a plan. There's probably lots of ways to, to see this here. But first of all, you know, that word right there, I know that this is a book that we read, and there's a lot of confusion. And there's a lot of conversation. Sometimes there's a lot of controversy about Revelation. And a lot of times, if you feel like me, sometimes I read it, and especially when I get into all the imagery and all the visions, and, and maybe part of it is that I'm not as familiar with the Old Testament as I need. Like I need to go back and keep reading the Old Testament until I get saturated with that imagery and I recognize it. But I just like, I don't understand. And I just want to point out that God didn't give that last book of the Bible to veil truth like to keep you from knowing truth. God gave this book to reveal truth. And so, so maybe part of it is just we need to, to be more familiar with the whole Bible and it helps us understand. That's a great challenge for all of us. But the other thing is, if you come and you're getting really confused and you feel like you keep having more questions than answers, possibly you're asking the wrong questions of the book. Because there's something God's revealing in this book. And, and it if it is, if we're right in our view of the Bible and it's about God and we come and we ask about all these secondary little details and we're microscopically focused on them, I know why we're not getting answers because that's not the main thing God's revealing. God's revealing who he is. And so the first thing I'll say is there's something we're supposed to get from this book and which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. God has a plan. God already knows what he's going to do. Right? Everything he says in this book, he's telling them. And, and think about the context in which he's telling them. He's basically saying to them, I know it looks terrible right now. Right? Rome's in control. They've got all the power in the world as far as you can see. They're persecuting you. Rome is way more powerful than the church, way bigger than the church. It looks like there's no way the church could survive. Your circumstances are awful. And then God's like, I promise you that you're not seeing the whole picture. You get to chapter 4 and 5, and God's still sitting on his throne, and he's in control, and he is ruling in heaven, and he's ruling over all the events of earth. Even right down here, when it says this about Jesus, Ruler of the kings of the earth. All right, so it looks like the emperor's probably Nero at this time. It looks like Nero is ruling over the earth, and Nero's a threat to the church, and Nero's killing Christians. That's what you can see. Let me tell you what's really going on. Jesus is the ruler over Nero. And there's a day coming back when Jesus will be seen as king of kings, and Nero will bow before Jesus, and Nero's tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. 
And you can say that about anybody in the entire world today. Whoever you think are the most powerful people, the most influential people, political figures in our country, other countries, the most famous people, the most rich people, whoever it is, they're going to bow before Jesus and they're going to confess Jesus as Lord. He is in control. He is ruling. Whatever's going on in your life, the darkest moments, the worst moments, when the circumstances of your life, when you just look and you're like, I can't bear this, I can't take this, it's overwhelming, this is stronger than I am. Jesus is still in control. He is still king. And he's, he's, he speaks and he just keeps reminding. He's like, you live by faith right now and not by sight. There's a reality far greater than just what you can see. He's working out his plan. And listen, it's hard for us to see it. And that doesn't mean that the suffering is not suffering. It's not real. Like the persecution was real. And the martyrs, it was real. There's people in these churches dying. If we read chapters 2 and 3 when he addresses each individual church, some of them have already seen members of their church die for their faith. And that's real. And Jesus is just saying, just remember, as bad as that is, as big as that is, as powerful as Nero seems, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is not done redeeming this. Jesus is not done working this. He has a plan, and it is going to happen. What else? A couple more truths about God. Yeah, has the keys of death and Hades. Keys are access, control, authority. And just one of the ways to think of it, he can open them up and let people out. And he can lock them up and shut them forever and nobody's ever going back in. One thought. You could go a hundred ways with this. But all of his people, there's a day when he's reaching down into death. And he said, no, you can't keep them. They're mine. And he's resurrecting his people to be with him forever. And then he's locking that door and he said, you never ever have to go back there. And think about what a word that is for these people. When Nero is showing up and he's burning Christians as torches feeding them to the lions. Like, it looks like this is like the ultimate defeat of somebody. <laughs> and Jesus is like, you killed their body, but you can't keep me from coming and getting them. Like you, you, an island in the middle of the ocean can't keep Jesus from John. And also this, death at the hands of the Roman emperor can't keep Jesus from his people. He's already been into death and come out of death. And he's basically saying, I'll reach down into death and get you and bring you out too. Nothing, it's what Lou told us last week. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ when you are his. Like once he has claimed you and adopted you and he said, you're mine, you're part of my family. Jesus saying, you are my brother, you are my sister. God the Father, look and say, you are my child. There is nothing that ever can undo that. Nothing that can separate you. In all of creation... You know, that in, in all of creation, the only thing that's not in creation, there's only one thing uncreated. What's that? God. 
Like the only thing, nothing in all creation, the only thing that doesn't apply there is God himself. And God's the one making the promise saying, nothing will separate you from me. That's what's so great. Like anything else you talk about falls under that category. And God says, when I have chosen you and I have claimed you and I've adopted you as my child and I've made you part of my family, it is done forever. And nothing else outside of him can separate you from him. And then he's the one saying, I, when I've chosen you, I'm not going to separate you from me. I chose you. <laughs> and it was his decision. He chose to set his love and grace on you. Nothing. Nothing's going to separate you. No matter what it looks like in this life. No matter how overwhelming it is. No matter how discouraging it is. No matter how dark it looks. No matter how hard it is. He is bigger and he is greater and he is stronger and he has a plan and he's in control and he is overwhelmingly gracious and good. He's coming for his people. Application. Okay. Yeah, when you get to Revelation 21... We get this picture where Jesus throws the devil and, and, and actually you get several. John has a bunch of different visions throughout Revelation. And I, I don't know what, what your all's dreams are like. They're just regular dreams. But mine aren't real like linear. Like, I'll have a dream that I'm here teaching you all and I know I'm here teaching you all but it looks nothing like this and it but I still know it's this. Does that make sense at all? Do you even know what I'm talking about with that? I have all kinds of weird dreams like that. Where it's like, I wake up and I know it was here, but it's like, it doesn't look anything like this. How do I know it's here? So you read these visions that, that God gives John, and it seems like there's a lot of overlap where sometimes God's emphasizing the same thing again and again and again. And, and so you get like, God's like, I'll show it to you this way. Maybe that'll help you see what I'm going to do. I'll show it to you this way. Maybe that'll help you see what I'm going to do. I'll show it to you this way. Maybe that'll help you see what I'm going to do. I'll show it to you this way. Maybe that'll help you see what I'm going to do. And so we probably get this several times, but we get this finality of when Jesus returns publicly and gloriously and he renders judgment on all creation and everyone and everything is separated into two categories. Either under his grace because they have trusted him and he saves them permanently and forever, or outside of his grace because they've rejected him, and he judges them permanently and forever. And they're cast into the lake of fire. Satan, demons, unbelievers. And one of the things even that he casts into the lake of fire, though, is death itself. Like, undone. No more death in the new heaven and new earth. Nothing to separate us from God, ever. Like that's where this thing is headed. And he gives us that vision at the end. And, and then the message that he gives these seven churches when he keeps showing them this, I think he repeats it. It's either chapter 12 and chapter 13 or chapter 13 and 14, back to back in two chapters. He says, he basically says, so just keep holding on. This calls for patient endurance on behalf of the saints. This calls for faithful endurance on the part of the saints is the way he says it in those chapters. Like see this and believe me and trust that I'm going to do this. It is coming. And whatever you face right now, I'm still with you. Just like I was with John. My spirit lives in you. And I'm going to finish this whole thing someday. That's his message to his church. Anything else you want to say? Application? Something God's saying to you this morning about your life or for us?
God is justice? Yeah, God is justice. At the end of the day, when God renders that final verdict, everything is going to be dealt with the way that it should be dealt with. Like evil people, evil powers, evil spiritual beings, and they don't win. They don't get away with what they've done. They don't triumph over God's people. They don't triumph over God. They don't triumph over God's plans. And at the end of the day, it'll either be God shows his justice by treating that sin and that wickedness the way it deserves. And that punishment is poured out on those people and those beings. And God is seen and celebrated as a holy and righteous and true judge. Or, at the end of the day, God punishes that sin the way it deserves, but then gives grace to the sinners who trusted Jesus because he punishes their sin, not in them, but in Jesus. That he, this is where he started, right? Right here. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. You've been set free from your sin by the blood of Jesus when you are trusting Jesus. Like by faith in Jesus, God sets you free from your sins. And so when God punishes, he's going to punish all sin the way it deserves, but when he punishes those sins, they're not connected to you anymore. You've been set free from them. And it's how he justly punishes your sin while graciously rescuing you. He doesn't pretend that it's not sin. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't lie about it. He treats it exactly like what it is. But there's something greater than just his justice. There's this power of grace that comes. And he says, I can come in and do for you what you can never do for yourself. And I can separate your sin from you. And I can free you from it by the blood of Jesus. And when I judge it, I won't judge you. When I condemn it, I won't condemn you. And instead, instead of us being sinners who deserve to be condemned by the justice and wrath of God, he's made us to be a kingdom and priests. Royalty with God the Father. And then priests, we don't have time right now. We've got to stop and sing in just a minute. But just this right here, like if you believe that this is what God has done in the gospel of Jesus, this is why you don't have to be the person standing up here to make disciples. A priest is the go-between between God and man. right? The one that represents man before God. And, the one that, and this is what he's done for all of his people. It's not, hey, he picked a handful of people and they do this for the church. Now, this is who the church is, made us to be his priests. He intends for you to be the go-between between the world and him. But you to be the one showing the world who he is. And it's not because you were qualified. It's not because you were good enough. It's not because you were smart enough. It's because he has made you that in Jesus. The blood of Jesus qualifies you. The blood of Jesus cleanses you. The blood of Jesus equips you. He's the one who does this. And then I want to end, we could end, we saw it with John already, but I want to end this way just because it's so great to come to like these uh, symbols, signs, and we get bogged down sometimes. Like, I don't know what that means. I don't understand that. My favorite thing 
is when anywhere in the Bible, but especially in Revelation, God uses like a symbol, a sign, a vision, and he just tells us what it is. I'm like, I wish you would do that with every single one of them. But right here, so this glorious description of Jesus. Where was the golden lampstand the first time? There it is. I saw seven golden lampstands. This is John. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. It was Jesus. So he sees seven golden lampstands. He sees Jesus standing among those lampstands. Just to point out, this letter, like historically, originally, was written to seven churches who are being persecuted by Rome. Like it seems like Rome's about to crush them and everything's going wrong and they've got no hope in the world. Here's these seven churches. Then John has this vision of Jesus standing among seven lampstands and then Jesus interprets this one for us. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. Here's what I want us to see as we close today. These seven churches, it looks like everything's going wrong. Everything's against them. They're about to be crushed. And the first vision that Jesus gives John is, tell the churches I'm with them. Jesus isn't far removed looking down like, oh, what's going on with my churches? Among. I saw one like the Son of Man among the lampstands. And the lampstands are the churches. Jesus is with his church. The hardest thing you'll ever face, Jesus is with you. The worst moment when it looks hopeless, Jesus is with you. The hardest thing this church will ever face, Jesus is with us. I don't even know what that is. Uh, Just whatever it is, Jesus is with his church. Jesus never leaves his people. Sometimes we see him and that's glorious. Sometimes we don't and I promise you can still trust him. Here's why you can know that Jesus is always with you. Here's why you can know that Jesus is always with his church. Because from all eternity past, like forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever farther than you and I can dream, Jesus the Son had always been with God the Father. Always. It was his very nature. It was his divine right. Perfect connection, perfect relationship, perfect communion, perfect love. And Jesus looked at his people and his church in their sins, separated from his Father by their sins. And he said, I want them to be with my Father the way I am. But there was only one way for it to be done. Jesus was separated from his Father so that you could be with him forever. Jesus' perfect relationship with his Father was broken by your sin and my sin so that your broken relationship with the Father could be restored by Jesus' blood. That's what it means, that he freed us from our sins. Because Jesus hung on a cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
I don't know what was going on in that moment. Can you imagine if all you had ever known is perfect relationship with the Father in your very nature? And in that moment, all the sin of the world, all the darkness and evil and wickedness and stain poured on you, and you feel nothing but the wrath of God toward all of that. Just the the foreignness of, Father, I don't feel you at all. It's the only time that I know of even that he doesn't say, Father. The relationship's broken. He says, my God, my God. You still hear the perfect faith of the Son of God in that moment. My God, you're still my God, even when you've forsaken me. But the relationship's broken in that moment so that your relationship can be restored. The eternal relationship with the Father was broken in that moment so that you can have an eternal relationship with God so that you can know right now this morning, Jesus is always with you. Jesus is always with his church. Whatever you face as part of his church, whatever this church faces, whatever the church faces in the rest of the history of the world, I don't care if you understand a single other detail of the book of Revelation. It'll be okay. Because Jesus is with his church. He went to lengths we can't imagine to assure you of the fact he's always with you. And so see how gloriously gracious he is this morning. Feel his love for you. Feel it in your heart. Know the truth in your mind and feel it in your soul. And know that this one who is the ruler of the kings of the earth, he comes and he puts his hand on you and says, don't be afraid. Whatever it is, it may be really bad. It may be really, really bad in this life. But he says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm with my church. I'm with my people. I'm with you. That's how Jesus loves you. And so let's thank him for that and let's worship him for that right now. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Please captivate our hearts and our minds with it right now. And I pray for anybody who's sitting in this room, for anybody who's listening, whenever it is, whenever you ordain it to be, that whatever they're facing, whatever is that hardest and darkest thing, Father, will you just remind them this morning that you are with them, that your spirit lives in them, your son walks beside them, that you love them, and that you've gone to unimaginable extents to show that love, to secure that love, to give that love to us. And then, Father, I pray for glorious redemption. I ask that for the, the, the glimpse that you gave John right here to give to his churches to encourage them. Father, will you give us glimpses right now in this life of you working in this way, of you redeeming, of you breaking through, of you showing us what's coming and giving us a taste of it now. Father, I ask for it this morning. Help us to know you more, to see it as coming from you and to trust you for it. Help us, Father, give us faith to trust you in the dark. Give us faith to trust you in exile. Give us faith to trust you when it feels like our whole world is falling apart. And then, Father, 
when you put it together and you redeem it and you heal it and you restore it, give us the type of faith that sees that as coming from your hand and praises you all the more and looks to you all the more for it. Thank you that we have this hope in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you want to come and pray with somebody or talk to somebody about what it means to trust Jesus, we'll be down here. But stand and sing with us right now.